0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Truth in Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld. If you're watching today, perhaps you're watching by one of these mediums. You can watch on Facebook, you can watch online at backtothebible.ca, you can watch on iTunes or YouTube, any of those mediums, and you can access Truth in Life Today. Well, today we've got a great issue to discuss, and uh, it's stimulated by the questions that come in from listeners and viewers like you. And uh, John, welcome today
1: thank you wonderful to be here
0: now we've got a great issue to talk about today i think a a critical one obviously and that's the the trinity the whole role of the trinity and the persons of the trinity and uh, you know there's a lot of uh, questions about who is the trinity why is the trinity Uh, some people will question whether the trinity indeed exists whether jesus is part of the trinity so let me start out with that question jesus in the role of the Trinity. What does he do?
1: Yeah, and as you say those things, Ben, I think maybe we should backtrack just a bit and say that the Trinity debate, as it arose in the church, arose because of the identity of Jesus. I mean, that was the entire reason for the debate. Who is Jesus? And I love to give the example of Christ walking on the water. I mean, he's been preaching all day, he's weary, he falls asleep in the boat, the disciples are going across the boat, and now a big storm whips up, and they're about to be drowned, and they're trying to raise him, I mean, they're trying to wake him, but but he can't be woken because he's so weary, he's so tired from speaking all day. And finally, when they wake him, I mean, he steadies himself, you almost sense that he's wiping the sleep out of his eyes. He looks out and he sees the storm and he raises his hand and says, be still. And immediately, not only does the storm cease, but the waves themselves immediately cease. And they're staring at him because they've just seen him so weak that they can hardly wake him. And now with one word, commands all of nature. Uh, And they say, what manner of man is this? And for the next 300 years, Ben, the church was talking about that one question. What manner of man is this? Who have we got here? Yeah. Yeah. So that became the dominant theme in the church. And what began to happen is that people began to cancel out all of the false views of Jesus. So one of the false views of Jesus is you know, that Jesus became the Son of God at some point in time. Or, um, you know, or that Jesus ascended because he, of his you know, unusual holiness, eventually elevated, and became the son of God by his own efforts. That kind of thing. And eventually people began to just study the text of scripture and say, let's find out everything that we can about Jesus. And from that enterprise came the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay. Um, so basically what they began to do is look at passages, for instance, not only John one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the Word was God. So you have Jesus being described as being with the Father and being one with God and being God at the same time. But then it goes on to say in verse three of that same chapter, John 1:3, that everything was made through him and not anything was made that has been made outside of him. So you have two categories of things. One category is the made category And the other category is the unmade category. So it says everything in the made category was created by Jesus. Well then, which category does Jesus belong to? You see, so if he belongs to the unmade category, well then he's God. But if he's in the made category, well according to John 1, 3, he has to make himself and that's a logical absurdity. So the only option is you've got to take Jesus in your thinking from the made category, the created category to the uncreated category. And of course you go ahead to John 8:58, where Jesus is in debate with the Pharisees and uh, they're, at, they're talking about Abraham. And he said, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, he says to the Pharisees. He saw it and was glad. And then in response, the Pharisees say, well, you're not even 50 years old and you've seen Abraham and you know Jesus response John 8:58 I tell you the truth before Abraham was I am Amen. not I was but I am he's actually quoting from from Exodus chapter 3 where Moses is standing at the burning bush and he says when I go back to to Egypt and they ask me what is this god that has sent me you sent me what shall I say is your name and God says I am that I am okay and so Jesus claims the very same title that the God who met with Moses claimed. And so it's it's the pouring out of these documents and saying, what does all of this mean? Suddenly coming to recognize the Bible teaches that there's only one God. The Bible teaches that Jesus fits in the unmade category and is himself God. And yet, the Bible also has Jesus saying things like, well, he's praying to the Father, And then he says, I can do nothing of my own accord. I only do what the Father tells me to do. So it shows Jesus in his earthly mission in submission to the Father. Hmm. So taking all of this together, I mean, eventually the church begins to formulate an explanation of what we're reading. And the explanation is there is only one God affirmed everywhere in scripture, that both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are God, and that they share the same essence, and yet they are three distinct persons. So, and that's what we say the doctrine of the Trinity is. There is but one God. That the very essence of the Father is also the same essence of the Son, and yet they are different persons.
0: So let me ask you a really basic question.
1: Why does it matter? It matters, first of all, because there is nothing more important about any person than the God that they worship. I, I, you know, I just think that's so important. You tell me what a person thinks when they think about God and I'll tell you the spiritual future of that person. Okay. But then there's something else that happens as well. The Trinity tells us that God has always been in community with God from all of eternity. So you know when I think about being created, uh, God did not create me or you, Ben, because he's lonely. Yeah. The fellowship within the Trinity has been complete. You see, those people who have a Unitarian God always have that Unitarian God creating us because He needs something of us. Yeah. You know, God needs my fellowship, all of that kind of thing. So, therefore, you get a doctrine of works. Yeah. We need to do something to meet the unmet need in God. But if we worship a triune God, who is already complete in fellowship and needs nothing, we worship God who has created us to share His glory with us, not because He needs us. So it creates the entire relationship between us and God comes out of the Trinity. So let's just unpack that just a little bit more, because we've talked about this
0: before. So, uh, and you've mentioned it, but I think just pull it out a little bit more. Why did God create us if He doesn't need us? Yes.
1: Now, of course, Isaiah tells us he created us for his glory, but even that we need to unpack. Yeah. So, sometimes theologians in order to you know understand what the Bible is saying will speak about the ad intra and the ad extra virtues of God so we can talk about God's glory ad intra that is the glory that is known from all of eternity in the Trinity the Father glorifies the Son the Son glorifies the Father you know this is the the activity within the Trinity but the the joy of the glory that the members of the Trinity find in one another and the exquisite delight that they find in their relationship is of such a nature that it flows over from themselves. And what creation is, is an overflow of the joy of God. It is God enjoy creating us to share with us the joy that he has in himself. And that's why I think the nature of spirituality says, I have come to realize there is no greater joy than the joy of knowing God, who is filled with joy.
0: Now, I wanna throw out a, a, a real important name, or maybe it's probably a new name to a lot of people, but the name of Athanasius. Yes. Okay, tell me who he is, tell me his significance to this whole issue of the Trinity.
1: You know, I'm, I'm waiting to shake that man's hand in heaven (laughs) and to hug him and to thank him for fighting a battle for the salvation of generations of men and women after him and the truth of the church. Athanasius time, which is in the early 300s, there's a great debate and there were people that were running around saying that Jesus is a created being. So they put him in the created category. Once you get Jesus in that category, you're not going to have justification by faith anymore. So, you know, they have these, these and so the, the, the bishops from the entire known Christian world met together in a place called Nicaea, and they decided to debate the matter of finally putting to rest what is the nature of the Son. And uh, so you've got a very strong bishop who's persuading people that Jesus is a created being. And Athanasius is, as at that time a young man. And he he begins to stake his case on scripture. And slowly as he takes as a young man, the bishops of Christendom through scripture after scripture, after scripture, after scripture. You can see one mind being convinced after another, after another, so that in the end, it was unanimous. Jesus Christ is the uncreated creator. Hmm. He is the eternal son of the father. And it was because it was settled there, now of course, Uh, The emperor of Rome actually didn't side with Athanasius and excommunicated him from the empire. Athanasius ended up being persecuted. He was hounded. I mean, he lived a miserable life for his work of having done his scripture work. But thank God that he set us straight. So Athanasius is someone we owe great thanks to. So what is the
0: Athanasian Creed?
1: Yes, I have a copy of it here before me, and it's a more updated version. Okay. But here's what it says. Whoever desires to be saved, it says, should above all hold the Catholic faith. Now when we say Catholic, we're not saying Roman Catholic, we're saying the universal faith. From Jude, it's the faith once for all delivered to the saints. There is one faith for all of God's people. Okay. That's what the word Catholic means. So it says, anyone who does not keep it, whole and unbroken, will doubtless perish eternally. That's how strongly church leaders felt this issue of the Trinity was. So they said, here, this is the, the Catholic faith, that we worship one God in Trinity, and the Trinity in unity, never blending the persons, nor dividing the essence. Now, you think, what does that mean? So let me read a little bit further. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another. The person of the Holy Spirit is another. So we understand that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. And there are also unique roles that the Father plays, that the Son plays. So the Father plans our redemption. The Son He accomplishes our redemption by dying on the cross, and the Holy Spirit brings our redemption to bear by drawing us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there are unique roles that they play, for instance, in our salvation. These persons are distinct, and yet we also know that, and this is what it goes on to say, that not only is there a distinct person, but we also say that there is something about their essence that is the same in each one. The Father is uncreated. The Son is uncreated, the Holy Spirit is uncreated, the Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal. So what we are saying is that in essence they are one, yet in personhood they are distinct. Okay. And these three persons are the one God.
0: So one of the, our, our viewers uh, wrote in asking us about the oneness doctrine. Yeah. Now, What is that?
1: So the oneness doctrine is a denial of the Trinity. Okay. It will say that Jesus, that Jesus is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so they will deny that there is a distinction of persons. Now, of course, the minute you hold that, you can no longer read the Bible anymore. I mean, what do you actually do when you have Jesus in Gethsemane saying to the Father, if it is at all possible, take this cup from me, who is he praying to? Yeah. Yeah, okay. You know, so the oneness people can only say he's praying to himself as if he's some kind of a schizophrenic being who's having an argument with himself, but he's actually praying to the Father because in his role in the incarnation by becoming fully flesh, he submits himself to the Father unto death, and therefore he's going to the Father and asking the Father, if is at all possible, take this cup from me. So what do we make of those incidents? Um, the Oneness Doctrine has no explanation for that, and therefore we've always said that people who hold the Oneness Doctrine are not true believers.
0: Now, what would the Oneness Doctrine come out of?
1: Uh, it comes out of a, a denomination in Canada called the UPC, which is the United Pentecostal Church. This is not to be confused with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, for instance. Okay. So the, the, the run-of-the-mill Pentecostals are biblical. Christ-centered believers who hold the doctrine of the Trinity. But there has been a, a heretical offshoot, and sometimes it's confusing to people. It's called the UPC, and it is not a Christian church. So that would be an example of oneness Pentecostalism, for instance.
0: So does the Trinity make a difference in how we go about our daily journey?
1: One of the things that Trinity does for us is it tells me the importance of relationship. You see, God is relationship. And He has created us in His image so that we also desire relationship. One of the things that I learned from the Trinity is it's not possible for me to conduct my own spiritual growth and be disconnected from the church, from fellow believers with Christ, and seek unity and relationship with them.
0: So if me as a lay person were to talk to somebody else about the Trinity, How would I describe it to them? Uh
1: Well, I'll say this as a starting point. You know, there are things about God that are not repeatable anywhere else. God is unique and unlike all other things. I mean, what else do I know that's eternal? God is eternal. He alone. So he fits in a category by himself. So I always resist, for instance, you know, uh, using the example of water. It comes as liquid. It comes as vapor. It comes as solid and say, you know, God is like that. Well, that's actually an ancient heresy called modalism. Sometimes God appears in the mode of. Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. It's actually an error to speak that way. So I always begin by saying, there are no points of reference for the Trinity, but that doesn't mean that we can't understand it, at least partially. The best illustration that I think that we should use is the illustration of a son. You have two sons, Ben, I have one son. Um, I always say, you know, when I tell you about my son, it shouldn't surprise you to say, or for you to hear, that my son is not a giraffe. That my son is fully human because my son shares fully in my essence. So if the father has a son and the father is from all of eternity, if the son shares in his essence, then the son also must share in his eternity. So when we say that Jesus is the son of God, we are saying that he is the eternal God.
0: You know, this is a critical conversation and and one that uh, we would hope that people would continue to understand the Trinity and and the importance and significance of the Trinity to our faith. Thanks so much, John, for sharing with us today. Thank you. We hope you're enjoying the new Truth and Life Today show with Dr. John Newfeld. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode each week. But we want you to be involved in the show. To submit your own personal questions to Dr. John, you can email us at info@backtothebible.ca at or find us on Facebook by searching Truth and Life Today.